It's 6 p.m. and you are tuned to your community radio station, KVMR-FM Nevada City, KCPC Camino. Today is Monday, March 27th. I'm Kelly Reese and this is your KVMR Evening News. First up, the California Report has the details on CalFresh changes coming next month. Those receiving food benefits may see dramatic decreases in EBT balances come April. Then, where have all the beluga whales gone? National Native News looks at the sad truth behind the steep decline in the white whale's population off the Anchorage coastline. Another, yes, another Pacific storm approaches this evening. We've got your weather forecast with all the details. Plus, KVMR News Director Claudio Mendoza talks with National Weather Service meteorologist Bill Roche to better understand the storm's potential impacts. This is the California Report. I'm Madi Bolaños in San Francisco. Another storm is coming to California this week. The low-pressure system from the Gulf of Alaska will bring rain to parts of California late this evening, with the heaviest precipitation expected tomorrow. Sam Bartlett is a meteorologist with the Center for Western Weather and Water Extremes at the Scripps Institution of Oceanography in San Diego. We're kind of forecast to see the most rain occur along the coastal mountains, kind of in northern and central California. Now, this storm isn't going to bring... uh, an amazing amount of precipitation compared to the storms we've seen previously this season, but adding a little bit more precip onto already wet soils and high rivers is going to lead to the potential for some flooding in the region. Bartlett says the Sierra foothills could see another three to five feet of snow from this storm. This all comes on the heels of Governor Newsom easing some of the state's most severe drought restrictions on Friday, including calls for 15 percent reduction in water use. Concealed carry applications and firearm safety training are skyrocketing across some of California's most liberal counties. CalMatters Ben Christopher explains why. Last summer, a ruling by the U.S. Supreme Court struck down a California law that gave local law enforcement officials broad discretion over who gets a concealed carry permit. In places across the Bay Area, including San Francisco and Santa Clara County, and in liberal coastal enclaves like Santa Barbara, law enforcement officials were much more hesitant to grant concealed carry permits. Now that those rules are relaxed, applications from gun owners are pouring in. Sheriff's offices say they're overwhelmed with application rates across the Bay Area, increasing from 10 to 100-fold. Most of these applications are still awaiting approval, and while gun violence researchers say it's hard to say exactly what this will mean for California, they point to research that shows that when states relax their concealed carry laws, gun violence tends to increase. That's CalMatters' Ben Christopher. Support for the California Report comes from Hint, fruit-infused water in over 25 flavors like watermelon, pineapple, and blackberry. No sweeteners, no calories. In stores or delivered from drinkhint.com. Stanford Medicine, comprising its School of Medicine and Adult and Children's Health Systems, working together to advance knowledge and improve lives. StanfordMedicine.org And Eric and Wendy Schmidt, whose philanthropy includes 11th Hour Racing, working to connect sustainability with sport to help restore ocean health. On the web at 11thHourRacing.org
Over 5 million people around California use CalFresh, the state's version of the Federal Supplemental Nutrition Assistance Program, also known as food stamps. But starting in April, these folks will notice a steep drop in the amount of food benefit they're receiving. We heard from Laura Villar, a mom of four boys in Long Beach, who told us her monthly food benefits are dropping from nearly $500 to about $300. She says now that the prices of food have been going up, she spends about $100 a week. And that's with her limiting herself to the least expensive things. Here to tell us why this is happening and what you can do if that's you is KQED's Carly Severn. Hey, Carly. Hey, Mari. So why are people's food benefits dropping so much? So during the pandemic, folks who use CalFresh, they've been receiving extra funds. They are called emergency allotments. And this increase was at least $95 in CalFresh benefits every single month. The pandemic is not over. We know that. But late last year, Congress decided to end these pandemic benefits. And so April is the first month that you won't see that second extra payment on your EBT card. So what will people's food benefits work out to once April starts? Both your regular CalFresh benefits and how much emergency allotment you get, um, they're calculated based on your personal circumstances, which includes how many people you have in your household, uh, what your income is, what tax deductions you claim. Without that extra allotment, people's CalFresh benefits are going to be going back down to their previous levels. And that could be as low as $23 a month. That is the state minimum. Wow. And how is this going to impact people across the state? What can they do with much lower benefits? Well, the official advice given by the State Department of Social Services, who administer CalFresh, is that you can't get free food from your local food bank. That is their advice. But food banks themselves, they are sounding the alarm about the kind of pressure this is going to put on them. They have seen such high demand during the pandemic, and these food banks themselves are being squeezed by that same food inflation that's affecting the people that food banks serve Many food banks across the state are joining forces with lawmakers. They want to lobby for increased funding, not just for food banks themselves, but they want the state to augment those federal SNAP benefits and raise the minimum above that $23. And beyond going to a food bank, what else can folks using CalFresh do to access food? First, I would say make sure you're getting all the CalFresh benefits you're entitled to. If your income's down or your expenses are up, you should contact your local social services office. Ask them about raising your benefits. You can also call 211 and speak to someone 24 hours a day about food services that are available in your area. You can check what extra food support your county actually offers. Many offer groceries for pickup or delivery or community meals. Um, Some offer subsidized restaurant bills for seniors. Lastly, I would recommend check out Market Match. That is the statewide program that lets you use your EBT card at participating farmers markets. It lets you double your CalFresh or your WIC dollars to spend at that particular market. Another way of looking at it is that it gets you 50% off that produce, which at least goes some way towards helping. That's KQED Senior Editor of Audience News, Carly Severn. Thank you for following this, Carly. Thank you. And you can find all the info you need on the CalFresh resources we've discussed at kqed.org slash CalFresh. They've determined it's over. 
For the first time in school history, San Diego State is going to the Final Four. That was the call on CBS Sports as San Diego State's men's basketball team defeated Creighton 57-56 yesterday to win the South Regional. It was a magical weekend for the Aztecs as they took out top overall seed Alabama on Friday. San Diego State will take on another underdog, Florida Atlantic University, in the national semifinals on Saturday. With a win, they'd advance to Monday's national championship game. And that's the California Report for Monday, March 27th. We're a production of KQED Public Radio. I'm your host, Madi Bolaños. Thanks for listening and have a great day. Four decades ago, beluga whale sightings off Alaska's coast were easy to come by. In fact, the whales, affectionately dubbed sea canaries, for their high-pitched calls, were in such plentiful supply, locals joked you could walk across the sea by stepping from beluga back to beluga back. Up ahead, National Native News looks into the population's drastic decline. Is there hope for restoring the once-familiar coastline inhabitant? Details ahead. This is National Native News. I'm Jill Freitas in Anchorage, Alaska, filling in for Antonia Gonzalez. Today, we're featuring stories from our KMBA news desk. In the 1970s, in Cook Inlet in the Anchorage area, thousands of beluga whales could be seen. So many whales that you could feasibly walk across their backs without falling into the water. That's according to Mandy Magura, an author of a map studying the challenges Cook Inlet whales face today. Four decades later, Magura says you'd be lucky to see seven whales at a time. The population stands at around 280 as of 2018, according to the Marine Mammal Commission. We've lost over a thousand belugas from this population. Um, that, that's a huge, significant loss. Magura is the author of the project, which is focusing on pinpointing the reasons why this might be happening to the belugas. According to Magura, the population decline is due to several factors that can be categorized as point source pollution and non-point source pollution. Point source polluters have a permit and pollution comes from a known source. That would be things such as um, wastewater treatment facilities, uh, stormwater drains, seafood discharges. Non-point source polluters don't have a single point of the entrance like point source polluters. So examples of that would be uh, runoff from roads or on the airport, you know, when it rains or snow melts, that all just kind of runs into the inlet. These threats are building up for the whales, causing issues like food insecurity, immune compromisation, and noise distractions that serve as a death by a thousand cuts. According to Magura, over long-term exposure, these factors will continue to decrease the population we see today. Catching up with U.S. Representative Mary Peltola, who was sworn into office in January. She's the first ever Alaska Native person to represent Alaska in Congress. Peltola was recently at the U.S. Capitol for the annual Alaska Week. She says she was able to discuss many important matters, including key Alaska Federation of Natives issues. We talked about a lot of high-level things. AFN is so good at helping frame our priorities as the largest statewide Native political organization. They're really good at looking at things, kind of zooming out, looking at things not beyond just details and beyond just regional issues. They're really looking at Alaska in terms of our place globally. Peltola is addressing a number of priorities for her home state, such as fishing, Medicare and Medicaid, and marginalized groups in Alaska. I think we all need to be thinking about veterans thinking about disabled people, thinking about elders, really thinking about our young people. We need to be looking for solutions on our homeless and unhoused families. 
40% of the people in Alaska who do not have a house are children, and that is through no fault of their own. But as an elected person, it really does impact everybody, this homelessness and houselessness issue. And I want to be one of the people at the table coming up with solutions. So those are some of the things that I consider priorities and I want to work hard on. Peltola's next goal is to continue prioritizing protecting fish and reducing bycatch. And we'll be tracking National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration expected revisions to some of national standards, which govern allocation, fishery-dependent community participation, and bycatch. Alaska Native artist Crystal Worrell's work will soon be on a postage stamp. The U.S. Postal Service is officially launching a set of four stamps called The Art of the Skateboard. Worrell's illustration showcases the Northwest Coast Formline style of design, which he is known for. Worrell, who's Clinkett and Athabaskan, used blue and indigo colors to depict a salmon, which she says is important to Alaska Natives because it's fed them for thousands of years. Worrell is not the first Alaska Native to have her art featured on a stamp. Her brother Rico designed a raven stamp for the post office two years ago. The two are business partners who sell their designs on t-shirts, jewelry, playing cards, and even snowboards. I'm Jill Freitas. National Native News is produced by Kiwanak Broadcast Corporation, with funding by the Corporation for Public Broadcasting. Support by the American Indian Higher Education Consortium, working to ensure tribal colleges and universities are included in our higher education system. Information on 37 tribal colleges and universities at AIHEC.org. Support from AmeriCorps VISTA, whose members serve to alleviate poverty while earning money for college and gaining professional skills. Rewarding service opportunities can be found at A-M-E-R-I-C-O-R-P-S dot G-O-V slash V-I-S-T-A. Native Voice One, the Native American Radio Network. Now let's take a look at your local news. According to a press release published today, Nevada City has adopted a new defensible space ordinance and is implementing new inspection and community outreach practices to address wildfire safety in Nevada City. The city says it will partner with residents and property owners to help achieve compliance with these regulations. The new ordinance establishes standards that align Nevada City with the existing CAL FIRE and Nevada County standards that are used in the areas surrounding Nevada City. These standards include establishing protection zones for structures. One such example is a five-foot ember-free zone surrounding homes. The city says it will begin inspections of all parcels against the new standards in May. Quote, although enforcement for egregious violators is a possibility where the community's safety is at risk, the focus of the inspection process is to partner with the community to identify conditions that are in violation of the ordinance which make the property more susceptible to the impacts of wildfire and to find ways to abate those conditions. Further information on the ordinance, defensible space best practices, and resources for the community are available at the city's website, nevadacityca.gov, under the Wildfire Preparedness tab. The press release continues, residents are always invited to share their experiences, needs, and concerns as they relate to fire safety with the Nevada City Fire Safety Advisory Committee. The committee meets at 6 p.m. on the third Thursday of each month at City Hall in downtown Nevada City.
The Fire Safe Council of Nevada County is hosting a series of free self-service green waste disposal and wood chip pickup days. The Council, the County of Nevada Office of Emergency Services, and CAL FIRE say the events are part of storm recovery efforts and defensible space improvements. The first free green waste event takes place April 9th and 10th. The disposal and wood chip pickup takes place at 12625 Brunswick Road in Grass Valley. Some may know this as the site of the former Idaho Maryland mine and as an occasional staging station for utilities providers and other county work. The location will be open from 8 a.m. to 3 p.m. A reminder that acceptable green waste includes tree and plant trimmings, weeds, leaves, branches, and pine needles. Items that will not be accepted include scotch broom, poison oak, Himalayan blackberry, items with a diameter greater than 28 inches, tree stumps, and root balls, and absolutely no household waste or trash. Let's take a look at your local forecast from the National Weather Service. A powerful Pacific storm system approaches the West Coast today, rolling into much of our listening area late tonight. After a weekend full of sunshine, the storm brings yet another round of moderate, lower elevation rain and heavy mountain snow. Thunderstorms, gusty winds, and significant mountain travel impacts are all in the cards through midweek. The National Weather Service has issued a wind advisory from 8 p.m. this evening to 5 p.m. Tuesday for the Sacramento Valley and Sierra foothills, which unfortunately means the potential for power outages. The Sacramento Bee states the wet weather over the past several weeks has done wonders for the state's drought conditions. The state's two largest reservoirs, Shasta and Oroville, are both above their historical average level for this time of year. For those in Grass Valley and Nevada City, tonight cloudy with a low around 36 degrees a 50% chance of precipitation with possible rain showers before 2 a.m. That rain turns to snow with snow showers between 2 and 4 a.m. Little to no snow accumulation is expected. Tuesday will be a day of back and forths. We start with rain and snow showers before 11 a.m., then snow showers between 11 a.m. and 2 p.m., and we're back to rain showers after 2 p.m. The temperature will remain around 37 degrees throughout the day. Gusts as high as 40 miles per hour. In Truckee and Lake Tahoe, tonight mostly cloudy with a low around 27 degrees. Tuesday, snow mainly after 9 a.m. with a high near 34. New snow accumulation of 9 to 13 inches is possible. And in Sacramento and Woodland, tonight mostly cloudy with a low around 46 degrees. Tuesday, rain with a high near 50 degrees. You're listening to the Evening News on KVMR. Hopefully you took full advantage of the sunny skies that made a celebrity appearance this weekend, because the clouds are rolling in. KVMR News Director Claudio Mendoza talks storm details and impacts with National Weather Service meteorologist Bill Roche, coming up. The National Weather Service is forecasting the arrival of a strong system late Monday night that could bring rain, gusty winds, and heavy mountain snow through the middle of the week. While more drought-busting precipitation is a good thing, the thought of more snow isn't exactly a comforting one for many residents of western Nevada County. Though we've had a bit of rain lately, the incoming storm is much colder. I spoke with National Weather Service meteorologist Bill Roche, and he explained that it has to do with where the storm is coming from. 
And this one that's coming down now is originating from the Gulf of Alaska. So it's dropping down from the north, and as it does that, it's basically the source of it is colder air versus the storms that we talk about that are called atmospheric river-type ones. They come in from the west, and they're much warmer. So it's basically the fact that it's coming basically from Alaska. Though the storm will be much colder, it isn't expected to last very long. It'll start raining late Monday night, and it'll be a heavier period tomorrow, and then a little burst on Wednesday morning. So I think by Wednesday afternoon, uh, pretty much the storm should be done. While the most significant snow accumulations will be above 3,500 feet, the foothills could see a few inches. Probably uh, down about 2,500 feet. I wouldn't be surprised if you get like a, you know, a trace to two or three inches. And also some of the snow is going to be falling during the daytime which will kind of keep it from accumulating too much. So basically below 4,000 feet, you know, anywhere from zero to four four inches and above 4,000 feet is where the heavy stuff will be. He says that in Truckee and the Lake Tahoe area, snowfall will be measured in feet, not inches. Solid to another two to three feet of snow. And I wouldn't be surprised if a few areas up there got four feet, but definitely two to three more feet. While that may be good news for the powder hounds among us, Bill says that travel could be treacherous. Anybody traveling up uh, across the Sierra should be prepared for that. I, you know, it'd probably be best to avoid it. It's going to be whiteout conditions again, and they have so much snow up there too. So when it starts snowing and blowing, things can uh, go sideways up there pretty quickly. He says that while the winds will be gusty, this storm isn't expected to do as much damage as the previous storms. Our kind of our freakout level of this isn't really high with with this storm, but the most wind you would see would be gust to 40 to 45. And we've had several storms that strong, even with all the rain we've had. It seems like a lot of the older trees have been knocked over or, or so the impacts have been less and less with the winds, but that is certainly not to say a 40 to 45 mile an hour wind. You know, I would expect at least some branches being knocked off, which could definitely cause some power outages. So people should definitely be prepared for that. But we're not really expecting, you know, a widespread impact type from this storm. No flooding is expected either. We're not expecting any flash flooding. We work closely with all our county and state partners. Um, We're talking to them all the time and the levees. Um, You know, that's the only thing, I guess. If the the rivers with the levees, you never know what the levees are going to do. But as far as flood stages, we aren't expecting any flooding on the rivers uh, or any kind of flash flooding, thankfully. For KVMR. I'm Claudio Mendonça. That's our newscast for Monday, March 27th. Connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. KVMR gets support from generous listeners like you and the Center for the Arts presents Nathan Owen's Three Queens of Motown on Friday, March 31st at 8 p.m., and Steep Canyon Rangers on Sunday, April 2nd at 7.30 p.m. Tickets and information at thecenterforthearts.org. The KVMR Evening News is produced by KVMR News Director Claudio Mendonza. As always, thanks for tuning in. I'm Kelly Reese, signing off. Join us Tuesday at 6 for another edition of the KVMR Evening News.